Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Judy Stevens. I'm Angelique Roche. And I'm Ellie Pyle. So, welcome back. As you've probably noticed maybe a little bit, the podcast has changed a bit. Instead of our episodes coming out every week or every other week, we now are bringing you a special slam dunk eight episode season for you where we're going to take a different topic every Thursday. So what we're going to do today is all three of us are going to share this episode, but starting next week, each of us is going to take ownership of a different episode. So for example, I might explore a topic like fanfic, including talking to some amazing people about that, and then come back and share it with both of you, also our listeners, obviously. And then each of you would do the same. I love it. I think that's great. And I love that we are getting a chance to talk about things that we really, really love. Like, honestly, the last year and a half, a lot of things have changed. And one of those things, I think, for us that we're feeling like really heavily, even right now, specifically after New York Comic Con just passed, you know, conventions shut down and we turned to online communities and platforms like TikTok for connection. And we really wanted to find out what it was like for fans who actually make a living being fans. So we will get into all of that. But first, I have some new folks I want to introduce to you all. Caitlin, we can start with you. Sure. I'm Caitlin. I am an assistant editor in the Avengers office under Will and Alana. Caden? Hey, I'm Caden McGahey. I am an assistant editor in the Spider office, working on Amazing. And Anita? I'm Anita Okoye, and I am an assistant editor in the X office under Sarah. Awesome. So you told me what offices you're in. Now, why don't you tell me what book you're most excited to be working on? Let's do that, because I'm sure you've got lots of things landing on your desks at various times. So just give us one example. Where should people look for your names? Well, for me, I'm only on Amazing Spider-Man because that book is insane and shipping three times a month right now. It's a full-time job. That's my old job. I can attest it is a full-time job. But in particular, I'm really proud of 78.bey. It is a Daughters of the Dragon one shot. And if you don't already love Misty and Colleen, it will make you fall in love with them. Caitlin? Sure. Actually, before I hopped on this call, we just sent Winter Guard 4 off for approval. So nice little wrap up to the one shot with our Russian fam. If you love Yelena and Red Guardian for any reason, and you should have several, it's a really nice way to get to hang out with them in a more them focused kind of way. Anita? I would say Excalibur and New Mutants. The art is very different and the tones are very different, but it's just like fun to just get into like Krakoa and Otherworld because it's a big ensemble cast. So like you get to explore like a bunch of characters and their motivations and their adventures. That's awesome. So what drew you all to Marvel and to editing comics? Dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a good answer. I like it. Yeah, I'm a lifetime comic fan. I've been reading as much as I could since I was 14, and the comic store was 40 minutes away. But um, my partner got into Columbia, so I had to leave my job at the library down in Atlanta, and I was looking for jobs. And this job popped up, and I said, well, hey. <laughs> And yeah, the rest is history. Nice. I had been working in 
mental health and social services and was super burnt out by it. COVID made that worse. I got furloughed. It was a whole big thing. And I had to move back home and I had some time. Thankfully, I was privileged enough to be able to just go back home and chill and regroup. And I had a couple of friends who do independent publishing that were looking for volunteers to help them out. And because we were friends, they took pity on me and I really liked that. And so then when Marvel came up on the internet job boards, as it does, I've always been a superhero fan from Marvel to anime to fantasy. So when this job came up, I had already spent the better part of my entire life ranting about comics and superheroes and this, that and the other thing. And I liked editing. So I figured I'd give it a shot. And then the team agreed to hire me. <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> and Anita? Well, I got into Marvel when I was like a kid. It started with the TV shows. So like Spider-Man, X-Men, Obsessed. And basically I've been, for most of my career, I've been hopping around and publishing. So I started off um, in audiobook publishing. And then I... Went to work at Tor for three years, so science fiction, fantasy. I mean, I've been reading comic books for most of my life, and I've been trying to get in every few years, like applying and such. And like, I think I got enough experience in like publishing and also in like podcasting, but most of it has to do with like science fiction and fantasy that I was finally able to get my foot in the door and get hired. So let's go through what's everybody's favorite Marvel character. I got two tied. I think that's legal. (laughs) We'll allow it. Kate Pride is my first love. And then Jessica Drew is my baby who I will protect at all costs. Love it. So mine, I have a whole team of characters I will die on hills for, but my favorite that I spent my whole interview babbling about is hands down Scarlet Witch. I adore her. I'm really excited to see where she's going next. Yeah, I I could babble for days, so I won't, but. (laughs) I would say Monica Rimbaud. I first discovered her in the Next Wave series. Besides being able to relate to her because like physical appearances are the same. I just, I enjoyed her grit and her humor. And also like the fact that she's gone through so many names. (laughs) The struggle Mm -hmm. of like trying to find your identity. I really related to that. Oh, that's a big mood. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but now I'm going to be. <laughs> but yeah, I'm also working on Captain Marvel with Sarah. So it's really cool to be able to dive into that lore as well. They're all so great, and I can't wait to read the incredible comics they're working on. Now, fandom has changed a lot over the last decade, even before the pandemic. And of course, when the world shut down last March, it changed even more. A lot of fans moved on to TikTok. Angelique, you talked to one of those fans, right? Yeah, I actually talked to Officially Divinity. She's a TikToker, and as she says, a part-time potato, which I love. It's kind of amazing. I want that job. Uh, She started her account at the end of 2019, but when COVID hit, she used the time at home to really commit to her account. She talks about Marvel and other pop culture, often with a mental health focus through her series, The Way I Seen It. She even talks about that in our conversation. So let's take a listen. So welcome. I'm really excited to talk to you. You've had... 
a very interesting two years. Yes. <laughs> so one, I would love for you to just like introduce yourselves for the listeners. What do you do? And not like, what do you make for money? Like what brings you joy? Because honestly, I think that's the great thing about this conversation because both of those seem to be intertwined. Right. My name is Divinity. I am a professional badass and part-time potato. I am most known for my shenanigans on TikTok. Most people come across my videos about like self-love or healing. And most recently, I just started a series unpacking some of my favorite uh, Marvel movies and how they've helped me on my healing journey. And then too, lots of cosplaying recently, which has brought me a lot of joy. I love that. You do have these like primary areas where you're talking about your fandom and you're talking about self-care. And I think it's very interesting because folks don't realize how intertwined the stories we love and the characters we relate to are to how we see the world. And one of the things I, I love about fandom is that the relatability of the characters So what's the light that clicks on that goes, oh, man, this is more than just me laughing. It's deeper for me. But also let me take this step up and share this with folks. So for me, the series kind of was conceived in therapy. I had always wanted to talk about movies, but unfortunately, I'm one of those harebrained people who like get so excited that it's like, If there was a plot hole, I definitely missed it because I was just like having a great time watching the movie and like feeling my feelings about it. So I don't ever really approach movies from like a super analytical standpoint. And like when I watched, you know, some of my TikTok peers do their takes and stuff, they were so eloquent and concise and they're speaking about, you know, from the beginning to the end and following the plot all the way through. And I'm like, I can't do that. (laughs) Like, that's not my wheelhouse. But when I got at a really low point and I needed to seek help, I went to therapy and I noticed in therapy, I was using the movies that I loved to describe what I was feeling and where I was in my process of healing or needing help or how I was perceiving myself or the world around me. So that's how the way I seen it came about because it wasn't about like the film itself. It was about my experience with the film. I love that. Okay, so you talked about in your introduction of who you are and kind of the work that you do. And if anybody knows your work, they know this. You've done some cosplay. It brings you joy. Which are your favorite that you've done? Nick Fury really shot up to the top of my list, like at least my top three. I got so much joy (laughs) out of doing that one. I'm a huge Samuel Jackson fan. That one really shot up to my top three. I also recently just did a cosplay of... Uatu the Watcher, which was so much fun. And I don't know, I think I'm like on a private mission to kind of make cosplaying a lot less intimidating and more fun because there's this kind of unseen pressure to like have these amazing finished pieces that take months to put together. When I'm like, I'm going to go to the 99 cent store and I'm going to grab a couple things and I'm just going to make it work and I'm going to show other people how to do that and so they can have fun either with themselves or their kids or whatever the case is. Spider-Man with the Iron Man suit, I have like that onesie or whatever. That one is like my favorite go-to cosplay because I love Spider-Man. I would say like it's like Storm and Spider-Man's like right underneath here somewhere, you know, like I I love (laughs) Spider-Man. Makes perfect sense. I love kind of how you're alluding to this idea of accessibility when it comes to cosplay. And it's very similar to what you were kind of saying 
with this idea of the TikTok series that you have the way I seen it, right? Because it's this idea that the value of how a piece of content hits most folks, do you feel like as you've kind of upticked your work? Because I feel like you were like very much like, all right, we're at home. We ain't got nowhere to go. I'm going to focus on something. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like that idea of opening that barrier to entry then translates over to your followers? And what kind of have you seen has been the impact? I feel like there's got to be a ripple effect. Yeah, I think that with the series, especially, I've seen such an amazing impact and reaction to it where people are going to therapy for the first time. One of the most touching installations of the series would have to be my Hulk character breakdown, talking about like being reactionary, living with your trauma triggers, and like how he was able to integrate his past with his present as Professor Hulk, as we see him in Endgame, and how that made him the big hero in Endgame. Because while Thor was physically capable and while Iron Man was mentally capable, Hulk was the one who was both because he had done the work. And that's why like he was the one to snap everybody else back into existence. It's been beautiful like going through the comment section and me getting teary-eyed listening to people share their stories or them finding me on Instagram and DMing me like their long, heartfelt thank yous for like turning on a light that they felt like they were roaming in a place in the dark in their life and like just happened to come across one of my videos and been able to see themselves for the first time in the space that they are currently. That to me is the most amazing part of it. It's just the journey or whatever, or like the one I did on um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And I talked about going a little deeper into the power of friendship and how sharing the pain makes the burden a lot less on you. There are people talking about their loved ones that's struggling with like bipolar disorder and ADHD and autism and how they're going to use this video to tell them it's okay to reach out. It's okay to like ask for help when you need it. That's been wonderful. And then too, it's like, it's always so much fun to have people laughing with me as I laugh at myself doing my cosplays because it's just the purest form of joy for me right now. And I think during the pandemic, it really showed me more of myself and what I enjoy. And it's something that I want to keep doing as the years go forward. And even as things get safer, I'm still going to be at home (laughs) making my videos and doing my cosplay. Well, and I think this is an interesting thing because a lot of us were confronted at the very beginning of the pandemic, right? There's this moment where suddenly our lives have changed. For some of us, we're like, oh, man, so cool. No con season. No more meetups. At that point, everybody kind of went through this thing. Okay, what's next? Right. Mm -hmm. And like you saw a surge of people getting on TikTok. I'm going to take a step back. Like, where does this begin? And then how do you because there seems to be like a strategy to it. Like, how do you move forward? And what do you think the role of the pandemic played in it? Yeah, I got on TikTok in I think October of 2019 as a joke. Yeah, it was a a joke to me because it was like people were saying millennials didn't belong on TikTok. And I was like, bet. First of all, first of all, fine. (laughs) Fine, everyone. We not new to this. (laughs) Exhibit A, TikTok came from 
But yeah, so like it was like a joke to me, like, oh, y'all think that we can't do this because like what, 10 years of difference? Like, come on, we're in this together, Gen Z. And I adore Gen Z. So I was like, oh, I got this. I got on TikTok in a week. I had 10K followers. I wasn't even posting a lot of Marvel things or whatever. Um, I just started off like kind of sporadically posting whatever, just kind of seeing what I liked, what worked. And then when I got on TikTok, it was Star Wars season. And I was posting lots of like Adam Driver, Kylo Ren content and stuff. And I was loving it. And I really loved it because I felt like I had finally found my people. I love the algorithm of TikTok because like you only get to see what you engage with. And that's awesome. Unlike, you know, no shade to Instagram because I also love Instagram. It serves an entirely different purpose. But I feel like the difference between Instagram and TikTok is that TikTok is like you create with your community instead of creating and curating for other people. So it's like there's a lot more engagement there. And that's what I was looking for was like a sense of like community or whatever. So I had been able to post as much as I could because I was working full time, 40 hours a week and working in customer service, no less. So talk about being drained at the end of the day. So I didn't really have the time that I wanted to sit down and be consistent with a series or you know, even come up with these like different elaborate concepts or sit down and do a cosplay and still want to get up on time for work the next day. So I think that the pandemic kind of put me in a suspended state where it was just like, I'm already an introvert. I love being at home. So when they was like mandated have to be at home, I was like, I have Wi-Fi. I have every subscription under the sun. And I have a whole big craft box full of wigs and just random objects that I'm going to turn into like cosplays. And that's what I did. I came across you for the first time because your stuff was stitched with someone else, right? Like Mm, somebody else mm -hmm. had reposted your stuff. And that's like the power of, I think, TikTok when you are putting out these positive messages. It's that power of community, right? It's that community that I always kind of joke with people about before AOL, You're in your little ecosystem. These are the friends you have. You make friends with the friends you have. And then suddenly someone gives you a chat room. And if you're anything like me, you're RPG and Star Trek with some random kids out of New York and Mm -hmm. who you're never going to physically meet. Exactly. And and the (laughs) world has changed, right? Because now we're sharing TikToks that say the thing that we were trying to explain to that person that one time because someone who gets it said it. Yeah. Or they presented a new perspective. And I think it's really amazing how this online community during the pandemic, like, how do you feel and what has kind of been your experience with this community? It's been very supportive and carefully curated because I am a creator with very strong digital boundaries as the internet, as you mentioned, becomes way more intimate than it has in the past as it's grown into this very interpersonal space where there the chances of you actually meeting people who you've met online is like very possible very plausible these days it's still important to remember you know to protect the thing that makes you you and not just you know what i'm saying like exhaust yourself and just trying to like be this personality so Yeah, it's been nice. I am somewhat of a shy person in real life. Like I tell people, like me behind the camera is probably not the me you'll like see in public. I'm fun. I'm goofy. Like, you know, I'm approachable. But at the same time, it's like I'm not as interpersonal as people would think right off the bat. I think that side of it is still has me a little shaken a little bit because it's like as much as I love my online community and my virtual friends, I... 
am still very shy about being perceived in person where it's just like, okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just like want to get away from it, you know, and go hide again. But yeah, I don't know. I love it. I think that as I'm still, you know, unpacking and processing what has been a personal hard time for me, my online community has created this like space where I could safely share that part of my life and my journey. And in turn, not even intentionally, it's been helping a lot of other people as well. On the level of like both being able to like entertain and give some knowledge, I guess, and wisdom back to them from my, my own lessons. This makes me so happy. <laughs> thank you so much, Divinity, for coming on Women of Marvel. And thank you for spreading joy, just bringing joy and like coming from a place of this is about joy and fun and enjoyment is dope. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think that's been super important to me. It's like in a world where fandoms often get really saturated with people who are like toxic and, but the facts, did you know, and you should watch. And I think that the little corner of my internet is just like, if you even like it a little bit and can't even remember the characters' names, you are welcome to fangirl here. And that's what I kind of want to be known for. It's just like fun fandom where it's a safe space to let loose and enjoy the things you enjoy just for the sake of enjoyment. Oh my gosh, that conversation was so much fun. Divinity really is the best. Like, huge thank you to her for taking the time out to come and speak to us. I think we're now best friends, which I'm totally here for. She's going to teach me how to be a potato. You know, honestly, it's just really great being able to spread that kind of positivity in fandom, just knowing that sometimes fandom is not always that positive. Speaking of positive in fandom, though, Judy, you actually talked to someone who's been around a lot longer. I did. I'm actually really excited to bring Stella Chu onto the podcast. I've known Stella for a long time. I don't think we actually remember when we met, but we did meet through Yaya Han, who's been on the podcast in the past. But Stella has been cosplaying for over a decade, and we talked about how much the industry and the community and fandom has changed. I mean, initially, you used to go on like cosplay.com and you'd find these fan magazines, and then cosplay moved over to YouTube where you could like learn how to make things. And now it's on Instagram and TikTok, and she's seen it all and really has adapted to that. And so, really excited to sort of talk to her and bring her to the podcast. I'm so excited. I feel like our worlds are like blending together as I talk to you on this podcast because I've known you for a long time. I don't actually remember when we first met. Yeah, I know Yaya was the one who introduced the two of us. Yeah, it was probably like a, a Katsu dinner or a San Diego dinner or something like that. But I'm yeah. so excited to have you join us to kick it off. Let's talk a little bit about you, how you got started in cosplay. You've been doing this now for 10 years. Like what was the path? Well, um, funny we mentioned Yaya because she has always been my inspiration uh, since the beginning. I remember seeing her at KatsuCon many years ago and kind of just establishing right then and there that like I wanted to do cosplay as maybe not a living, but like a major hobby. Like it, I wanted it to turn it into my personality because before that I had just graduated from college. I was part of my anime club and I'd been going to conventions, but not necessarily cosplaying. And then going to KatsuCon and seeing all of these amazing costumes, seeing Yaya really kind of like hit that spark for me. And that's 
I, I hit the ground running. Like immediately I bought so many costumes and materials, uh, machines, taught myself how to sew. And it, it's been, it, it was literally went from like zero to a hundred overnight. What was that process of you learning? Cause this is like, I mean, obviously like tutorials existed, but like nothing like it is now. Like what was the process of you learning how to sew and craft? Oh my God. I grew up and I lived in New York for a really long time. Um, During the process of learning how to sew in New York is impossible because all of the apartments there are so small. And so trying to create a little corner for yourself to sew and then like cut fabric, you know, and also I didn't really have anyone to teach me. So I would go online and try and find tutorials, but really didn't know what I was looking for because I didn't know the vernacular and whatnot. And everything I searched for was always for cosplay and not for like traditional sewing techniques. And still to this day, I feel like there's so much I need to learn and so many wrong mistakes that I make, but I just make it work. And I'm so grateful now that there's so many tutorials and I see all these new cosplayers like learning from them. And I really wish that I had had these resources back in the day. Yeah. Oh, man, the, the amount of times it's like 11 o'clock at night, you're leaving for the con tomorrow, you're hot glue in your costume because like you waited to the last minute or you were like your sewing machine broke a needle. Oh, my God. OK, so let's talk about you discovered cosplay. You decided to get into cosplay. What was the thing that made you decide that you could do a career out of this? I mean, right from the get-go, I treated it like a job. I didn't just show up and was like, oh my God, I can't wait till I'm popular. It was more like, how do I monetize this so I can continue to do this? Because during that time, like 11 years ago, there wasn't really content creation the same way. Like, I mean, the most famous person on the internet was like Michelle Fan at the time. Like there wasn't any Jake Pauls or Jessica Negri, nothing like that. It was, it was just, you don't make money on the internet. And if you have a blog, then good for you. But even still, I knew that there is potential there to be able to grow it as a business somehow. Not that I knew exactly what the method was. I knew that being invited to conventions was a, you can make some money selling prints. That was just starting, like literally two years after I started cosplaying, people started selling prints. And so I jumped on that. And then eventually there was Patreon and all these things. And I had a day job for a long time. I'm traditionally trained as a graphic designer. And I was doing that for many years. I had like this really nice corporate job with like a 401k <laughs> and everything, retirement fund, like HR and all that stuff. And I decided when I was spending more time doing cosplay and traveling than I was at my actual job, then I should quit. And I wasn't necessarily making a ton of money off of cosplay, but I knew that if I converted like my hours over, I could maybe make it manage. But I'm also very impulsive. So kind of just like threw caution to the wind. <laughs> You did it. And I think one of the great things that you did is you evolved with the times, right? Like, as you said, that like Patreon hadn't existed and Twitch is a new plot. Like you've learned and grown with all the different platforms, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I, I mean, I go towards whatever's the shiniest and I, I like hyper focus on it. So I think that's what kind of helps a lot is that I throw caution to the wind. I, I don't have a lot of fear when it comes to my own like risk taking. So that's why it's really easy for me to jump into something and it looks really reckless. But because I'm really lucky, <laughs> it just works out. So let's talk about community. I mean, like, how did you first discover conventions? Was it like the anime club that you were at at school or? Yeah, my well, like I've always been a huge nerd and like anime nerd and everything. So I remember my first convention, I was 13 years old and we like snuck into this convention in New York called Big Apple Anime oh Fest God, or something Apple. like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a long time. We snuck in because I guess one of our friend's sister was working the marketing and so she got us badges or something she got us staff t-shirts and so we technically didn't even have badges and so we just walked around with staff t-shirts 13 years old and i like spent all this energy trying not to get caught even though we were fine but it was still really fun and that was like my first time seeing people cosplaying then i hadn't gone to a convention until i was in college after that so it was like you know five years until i finally went back to a convention and it was with my anime club yeah, yeah. I, I i became president of the anime club because you know impulsiveness and i like threw my name in i was a freshman and i became <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how. And so, you know, found my crew there and we all ended up cosplaying together. But yeah, and then, yeah, I just continued the, the tradition after that. Is there like a moment that you remember where you were at a con and you were in a costume and you like looked around and you were like, I found my people. I found I found this the thing that I always wanted. I mean, OK, so like I remember seeing this person who had done fan art that looked exactly like the source material and it blew my mind because I thought like are you the original artist like how do you do that I was 13 I didn't know anything that's my most vivid memory of that convention was seeing this piece of artwork and feeling like you can be a creator and you can enjoy something without just being like someone sitting in front of the tv and you know what's crazy is that like years later at fanime i saw the same exact art and like i was too shy to like talk to them and be like by the way you like changed my life when i was 13 but maybe next time i'll see them and be like um hello <laughs> because yeah i just didn't realize how important seeing that like piece of artwork was for me yeah, going to my first anime convention, I went to Anime North in 2004 and being like, I found it. Where has this been? I am ready. Yeah. I am ready. And like you mentioned Yaya, Yaya Han earlier, how important was it to see? Because there was a period of time where most of the like, I'm using quotations, famous cosplayers back then were mostly white. Like, yeah. was it really important to have an Asian woman be a representation for cosplay? Absolutely. And even then, when I first saw her, I didn't know about famous cosplayers. Like, I wasn't on any of the cosplay websites back then, like cosplay.com or AC Paradise. Like, I wasn't on any of those, I think. And so seeing her in real life was what sparked my interest. Honestly, I don't even remember what costume it was or anything like that. I just remember someone saying, oh, that's Yaya Han. Like, she dresses up and sitting there and being like, I want to be just like her. <laughs> Like, I want to be her. And going home and, like, starting up, like, a website, signing up for all these cosplay websites and, like, reading the forums. Yeah. I, I think, like, yes, her being Asian American was really big for me, but it was also just kind of luck of the draw that she was the first famous person that I saw. And I don't know if I would have felt that same spark if it was any other famous person. I definitely saw myself in her, in, in a way. Let's go back to sort of the beginning, not to get into the depressing topics, but previous to March 2020, so much of our lives were spent going to conventions and shows and, and seeing each other, you know, like pivotal moments in time for each one of us from like PAX to Dragon to New York Comic Con. Like, what was that feeling of suddenly like, okay, okay, now I'm not going to do shows this year. What am I going to do? Yeah, I, it was a really hard time for everyone. I remember going through ups and downs with like weird anxiety and depression. And it is only after everything has happened that I realized that I wasn't alone in it. Like everyone, we were collectively experiencing pandemic depression and we would see it on social media without actually recognizing it like we would feel it it was like this weird empathy sharing thing and we would like reinforce each other's depression 
in a weird way. And now like we're all recognizing, oh, okay, that's what was happening. I'm not blaming myself. Like this is a group activity that we all participated in. Was it a good one? Who knows? Like, I feel like I came out of it the other end way happier and better than I was at the beginning. And I hope that that's true for a lot of people since, you know, you had a lot of time to reevaluate yourself and think about yourself and spend a lot of time like with yourself. Everyone went through pandemic bingo somehow. I mean, like, you know, like the ammo crossing phase and then the Among Us phase, watching like every possible show that you could watch. I feel like I took advantage of it for myself by doing all the things that I was putting off for a really long time, like mental health things, physical things, like training myself in other skills. I put cosplay to like the side, like it wasn't my primary anymore. I still cosplayed, but it, you know, for a person who was doing a new costume, like almost every week down to doing a new costume every three months, like that was like a huge slowdown for me, especially since it was my job. But doing content creation, it sometimes it doesn't really matter as long as your fans are happy and sponsors are happy and whatnot. So I was so lucky that I was able to not really pivot, but more like expand and be less focused and more like eclectic. <laughs> yeah. And also like the great thing about the community was we all had tremendous support with each other, even though we weren't seeing each other. Right. These friendships we have, this family that we have built over the years, we all came together. Maybe we weren't seeing each other on the Marriott lobby floor at you know Atlanta for Dragon Con, but we all got together on Zoom and we made it the best that we could make it. And I think that that is like the true story of cosplay. And now that shows are happening again, I'm sort of excited to sort of see how the cosplay community will like, maybe we're like a flower blooming. Yeah, I'm interested to see what the generation of TikTok cosplayers are going to be like because most of them have never been to a convention and I wonder if we're going to get like a new form of like glomping or something or like you just lost the game like those memes that are going to happen that are only from this new generation all of us older generation going to like stand back and be like what is what is going on why are they all doing the same dance Everyone is holding a tripod and a phone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think there will be like moments where I'm like, I am maybe 30 or 40 and I don't understand what's happening. But you know what? They're having a good time. Yeah. We're going to have a good time. We're all going to have a good time together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I just hope that also like... I want to be able to educate the new generation and like let them know things to look out for at conventions that I learned, you know, the hard way over the last 11 years. And that way they can have the best experience they can possibly have and not like look back and be like regretful. What's like a tip you would give young new to cosplay? Uh, so a lot of like the consent things like cosplay is not consent. I mean, our generation did that beautifully. I'm so happy because I remember at the beginning when people would just be disgusting and creepy. All of my horror stories of cosplay happened at the beginning of my cosplay career before the whole cosplay is not consent movement started. And as soon as that started, it was like cosplay and, and conventions became my safe place. Going to conventions was like where I felt the safest. Especially because, like, in the cosplay community and, like, convention community, there's a lot of, like, neurodivergency. Like, I, I don't want to see somebody who with, like, ADHD or ASD suddenly regret something that they did because 
people took advantage of them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the great things that's come out of the last few years is communication, right? You know, these new generations come in and they are talking and I am all about it. Okay. One final question, Selen. Someone who's new to cosplay or, you know, is there a video you have? Like, what advice would you have for them to get started? Oh, man. To get started. Well, okay. So a lot of people ask me, like, should I make a costume? Should I buy the costume? I always tell them nowadays, just buy the costume. During the pandemic, all these companies started like doubling down on their costume making and their shipping and all that stuff. And these costumes are better than what I can make. You know, save your heartache and practice on something easier <laughs> that it's okay to make a mistake on. So try not to do anything complicated first. Just like, what makes you feel the most happy when you're cosplaying? Is it wearing the costume? Is it building the costume? When you answer that question, that is where you're going to start off. Like, I feel good doing both because, you know, graphic design, like art school and all that stuff. I love crafting. I love making, but I also love getting my photo taking and feeling pretty, you know, like, uh, so, so I, I do both. Amazing. This has been so, I'm so happy that we were able to talk. Where can people find you on the internet if they aren't already following you? Yeah, so I'm very active on Twitch and uh, Twitter. You can also follow me on Instagram to see a lot of cool photos that I post. Uh, basically, Instagram's just like a photo album at this point. Like, yeah. And then I'm also on TikTok these days. I highly recommend everyone join TikTok. You will find your own community on there. They're not sponsoring me. I just like it. It put me through the pandemic. I learned a lot about plants and mental health on there. So amazing. Well, thank you so much, Stella. Thank you. It's so amazing to hear from fans like Divinity and Stella who have really committed to positivity and community and bringing fandom to everyone, especially in this weird, strange time. I mean, that's what fandom is all about, right? You know, whether we're meeting in person at conventions or online and going at each other at TikTok or whatever, you know, I don't know what people do on TikTok. They do... Dance challenges. I was like, I know that, but they do more than that now. But next week on Women of Marvel, Ellie, you're bringing some spooky themed content for us, right? Oh boy, am I. Tune in next week for a post-Halloween conversation all about witches and magic in history, stories, and of course, at Marvel. Women of Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Isabel Robertson, Jasmine Estrada, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and me, Angelique Roche. Our development manager is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen. And our executive producer is Jill Duboff. Listen weekly on SiriusXM and on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. See you next week.